Yes, I remember everything. I know who I am. I am the Doctor. I am the Doctor. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's always there, no matter which way you turn. And if you don't turn, then you're screwed. We're carrying on our trip through those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord as played by Paul McGann. I'm Rebecca Chapman. And I'm Kenny Smith. And you join us as we resume our quest to feature the eighth Doctor's exploits where they're on screen in books, novellas, Cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or indeed anything else we can lay our eyes, ears, and hands upon. And this week we head back into the world of the Big Finish short trips as we discuss the making of a story with a pun in the title, The Turn of the Screw. And as we discovered at the end of last week's episode, Kenny literally got it as he said it out loud as we previewed this episode. Four years to the month since it came out. Yeah, I've literally my surprise could be heard and that's not like me at all is it to miss out on a pun the no story... not at all sorry <laughs> no and the story is literally all about the sonic screwdriver really or at least a sonic screwdriver but before we go any further becca what does the blurb on the big finish website tell us about this story okay so charlie sato has been chasing a bit of alien junk from england to puerto rico and he's finally got his hands on it but now he's got to get it safely off the island and the aliens he stole it from want it back. Someone else has hired a group of thugs to get hold of it. And I mean, then there's the original owner. I mean, he's probably going to come looking too. All this for a screwdriver. Someone somewhere must want to unscrew some pretty important screws. <laughs> hmm. But anyway, let's hear a short excerpt from the story, which was written by Eddie Robson. Doctor Who. Short trips. The turn of the screw. All I had to do was get it and take it to the vault. So I was pretty sure this was it. It fit the description. Like a small flashlight with controls on the side and a weird thing at the end. But it was really beat up. The outside was twisted, cracked like broken china and pieces of it were missing. It didn't look like it was good for anything. I'd only been carrying it a few minutes and the sharp edges had already cut my hands and made holes in my pocket. Unit were sending people to pick me up, but it was going to be too late. I had to get off the island, now. There was a guy on a cargo ship who said he could get me to Miami, but I had to get to him first. So that's why I wound up hiding in the middle of a maze of shipping containers at 11 o'clock at night. I was just thinking... Why can't I get myself smuggled away on a nice, comfortable cruise ship when I heard the little guys? I say guys, one of them was a woman. They were about yay high, three and a half feet. But the weird thing was, their voices were kind of deep, like the kind of voice you'd expect someone big to have. And those were the voices I could hear echoing around the alleyways between all those stacked up shipping containers. Big finish. We love stories. So, Becca, this is a short trip featuring the character of Charlie Sato, a unit soldier played by Yi Ji Cho, as the rights to use Changli are complicated, and in fact, they've got even more complicated in recent times because he's now owned by Disney, since they bought over Fox, the co-producers of the TV movie. 
Yes. Wait, does this mean that E.G. Cho is the Disney princess? <laughs> you can tell him that. I'm not. But I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> I've just got this image of Chang Li with, like, birds on his hands. Just like, <laughs> Well, there is that bit at the end when he's resurrected in the TARDIS and he's got the golden glow around him. So, yeah, I could picture him standing there with little birds in each hand, a little robin in one hand and a blue tit in the other or something like that. So... Then again, that tar just did look quite cold, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Eugene's so good. And I mean, of course, we've got him joining us later, along with writer Eddie Robson. Indeed. I just really enjoy this one. It's quite different. It's almost like a a Bond film in 32 minutes and 15 seconds. But with a Doctor Who slant on it, it does get pretty violent. It does, but it's great. It is fantastic. It never strikes... It's always very weird. I've listened to it a few times, Mm -hmm. and... Originally, I it, I struggled to realise that it was a Doctor Who story, and it was only when everything happens that I kind of went, ah, oh, of course. Yeah. And it was yeah. Yeah, particularly when we've got the when the Doctor does show up and he's playing a part of being a European Doctor and he's injecting Charlie to try and get all the way they think they're giving him the truth serum, and of course later we find out that it is him, and of course it mentions that he's got a purple Volkswagen Beetle. And that's something that came from the BBC books. I think it started in uh, Vampire Science by Jonathan Bloom and Kate oh, Orman. Yeah. So that's quite a nice wee tie-in. I quite like it when you get that sort of thing. Yes, yes. I love little references. Mm. They're so subtle that you don't even know what they are, but it doesn't intrude in the story. But if you do know it, and it just gives you a little, ah, oh, that's nice. And the car later shows up in is it Dark Eyes. Yeah, I think it shows up in Dark Eyes later on as well. So yes, there's yes, all these... it does. Yes, it does. I mm-hmm. love Dark Eyes so much. Yeah. We'll have to do Dark Eyes sometime. We have to. Definitely. I mean, there's, there's, there's like four of them. <laughs> yeah, 16 in total. So, given that we've now established oh. that we rather like the turn of the screw, shall we find out how it came to be, starting with Ian Atkins, who commissioned the story as the short trips producer at the time. Hello, I'm Ian Atkins, and I was the producer of uh, Big Finish's short trip, uh, The Turn of the Screw. Ian, welcome back for a third visit to Pieces of Eight. Very happy to be here, thank you. Today we're going to talk about The Turn of the Screw, and I feel like we should just jump in. So, was it a case of finding out if EG was interested in reading a short trip, and then commissioning it from there? It was kind of the other way around, actually. Occasionally, just randomly, you'd get an email from, normally from David Richardson, saying, certain actors going to be in a country for normally quite often for a convention have you got anything for them and this had happened to me quite some time back with uh, daphne ashbrook and we commissioned the companion chronicle tactics of defeat very much based around her the unit character for her uh, the big finish created and so we'd gone with that and then God, I don't think we'd be too far away from the release of it. And then suddenly I got this email saying, oh, Yiji's coming over for a convention. Have you got anything for him? And I was sitting there cursing because if I'd known he was going to be available, we'd have written the, the Companion Chronicle to have the, the two of them in it. But it was way too late to make any changes with that. But we had this... Um, the Companion Chronicle was about you know, a character who, who's going after someone slightly vengeance um, orientation from a, a kind of motivation and it had always been in my mind that she would have a few lines just saying oh you hurt a friend of mine sort of thing and just to establish it really but i wish i could say it was deliberate it wasn't but it meant that we could then actually do the short trip that told that story 
And I quite like having stories that connect to other stories. I don't, I don't want it to be mandatory, but it was quite nice so that if you listen to the short trips around that time, you listen to the companion chronicle, you go, oh, oh, this, that's how this happened. So I basically went to Eddie and said, okay, we've got Yiji, so can we have that character, please? Eighth Doctor. I quite like the idea that the Doctor keeps leaving bits of his screwdriver all over the place, so can we have that as part of the plot? Can it be a bit globetrotting? Because otherwise you end up... I, I just found the short trips we kept on just doing little English village, villages style stories, which I always love, but it is a big world. And you really should be embracing that a little bit more. So I just said, yeah, can we have it quite international? And and he came back with this wonderful sort of noir James Bond story, which, you know, it's one of these things when you pitch an idea, you pitch bits to a, a writer and they take it away and they stitch it together in beautiful ways you would never have considered. It was all, I think getting a storyline from a writer is, is 99 times out of 100 one of the best things a producer does. It's so much fun. And Eddie was just brilliant. For those who don't know, could you tell our listeners who Charlie Sato is? Yes. Um, yes. Some time back, Big Finish wanted to work with Yiji uh, and Daphne, but for various reasons, weren't able to reprise their um, TV movie characters. And with the Companion Chronicles, they came up with the idea of The Vault, which is a um, a location stroke department within units that look after alien tech. They staffed it with Daphne Ashbrook playing Ruth Matheson and Yuji So playing Charlie Sato. And I think they did three stories, including the, the Big Finish, the world of Big Finish. And not wishing to get too spoilery, but it, I think it kind of has a finite end with it. The idea of our one is it's set a little bit before Mastermind. Alternative, it can be set afterwards and that they, that the consequences of that weren't as bad as everyone thinks they would be. So I was like a happy ending, but I'm not sure with Unit you'd always get that. Never mind. Yeah, it's, it was a nice way to be able to work with two immensely fun actors who, who weren't really getting enough work or getting enough exposure when, you know, you listen to either of them at work and you think, oh my God, we should be doing whole loads of stuff. And, you know, I think if things had been different with the new series and if they hadn't gone, you know, Reintroduce unit. I can see Big Finish would have done sort of box sets by now, set around the vault. It's it's such a great idea and it's such a strong kind of um, flexible format. You could have done loads with it. So, you know, it was really really quite easy for us to sort of steal the characters for or borrow them, I suppose, have them on loan for short trips and companion chronicles. So, why Eddie? That's a really good question. I mean, uh, uh, why Eddie? I. I don't know, it just sounded like I'm puffing smoke up his bottom all the time, but as it was Eighth Doctor, I'm, I'm always kind of, I've got such a connection between Eddie and the Eighth Doctor in my head that I think that was already kind of bubbling away. And um, I think just tonally, I felt he'd get it. I really did. Um, quite often with the productions I'd work on, I would try and get new blood into Big Finish, new writers. The problem with that occasionally is that if you've got quite a fast job on, you don't really have the time to get someone through all the new processes that, by you know, that completely understandably they're not necessarily familiar with. So, I wanted someone who was quite a big Finnish veteran. So, if you're looking for a veteran and a doctor writer, I think yeah, Eddie really was pretty much a shoe in, and he's incredibly fast with his ideas as well. If you, if you email a pitch to him, or well, not. If you email a list of components to him, I think I think with Turn the Screw, he'd come back in about half an hour with 
pretty much the whole thing worked out, which was um, you, you've really got to sit in awe when people do that to you. It, it's lovely to be able to work with people like that. Do you remember this one going through many changes along the way? And did you suggest things like the reference to the 11th hour and things like that? Because that's a lovely little um, touch that I liked. Yeah, I, I think initially, oh God, no, I remember now. I'd always try to have a, a theme to the Companion Chronicles or each set. And, and with the second Doctor Volume 2 set, the idea had been that it was going to be all around old tech that the Doctor's left behind. And actually, I think we ended up dropping most of the ideas for that. But what we had looked into quite, quite a lot was how many times does he leave the sonic screwdriver lying around? It's a phenomenal amount, you know. So we dropped any idea about using Leadworth and, and the screwdriver there, but it was a case of, ah, that, that will actually work out really well. And we knew already that this was going to feed into a story about a collector who collects alien tech. So no, that, it wasn't late. I mean, I think that was the kind of the only real proviso in the storyline was that it doesn't really matter if you establish it or not. And it, it was really down to Eddie whether he wanted to get really continuity or not. But it was just about a bit of screwdriver that's been found. That was really it. Um, you could say it was Ledworth if you wanted, but it didn't need to be necessary to the plot. Because again, I tend to try and avoid that thing where you feel you should have read something else before you read this story and you feel a bit left out. I've, I've always hated that. So it wasn't vital, but you know, it's always lovely when there are touches between. So um, yeah. The, and for it to be sort of out of time as well, you know, to be a doc, you know, three doctors down the line, I've always liked, because there's not a lot of shows you could do that with and get away with it. So, um, I think it was Eddie, though, who remembered that the screwdriver would have the, um, the program running from Day of the Doctor, which is, you know, I think we could have not mentioned that and no one would have really noticed, but it's a lovely little thing to say, no, we have, we have thought this through a bit. So. I thoroughly enjoyed the reference to the Day of the Doctor. Um, <laughs> what do you recall of the recording session for this one? I believe it was done in London? Yes, um, it was one of the ones we recorded in the Sound House in Acton, rather than the usual studio in Ladbroke Grove. I'm not entirely sure why. I think the short trips generally only need a small studio. We don't have to worry about lots of people being mic'd up. So, sorry, I'm just remembering bits about it. But um, yeah, so we were in the Sound House. Yuji came. I've never worked with, I've never met, met him before. So it was quite interesting meeting someone who isn't kind of one of the, the usual crowd that by that time, you know, you, you're on nothing terms with. No, again, he'd done his prep. He'd really thought about it actually as well. I mean, for someone who essentially has only done maybe an hour of, of TV Doctor Who, you kind of forget he's done a lot of other things as well. And that he, he's really good at it. I mean, it, it was, it was one of those ones that I didn't really know what we were going to get. And, and you always go into those days a little nervous and a little cross fingers and hope for hoping. But no, I think Lisa had worked with them before anyway. And yeah, just hit the ground running. No, what was kind of confusing me was I, I suddenly remembered we hadn't record, we'd recorded Daphne, the Tactics of Defeat Companion Chronicle before UG was in studio, but we knew Turn of the Screw was actually going to happen. So we were able to get Daphne to just record a few lines while she was over for that as well, which is, again, I, I did it a couple of times with the short trips where you, you'd end up with a little cameo that could be secret. And it was one of those little little surprises. It made the short trips a little more exciting, a little more 
gave it a bit more word of mouth as well, which is again, I was, I was really working quite hard to get them noticed beyond their kind of scope and, and being able to play little tricks like that. That's the sort of thing I, I like to think the fans really like anyway and, and connecting things a little bit more. And yeah, that, sadly, Daphne and Yuji were never together at that point, but they were on audio, sort of. I loved it. I mean, how happy were you with it in the end? We know that we spoke with Yiji quite recently and he had an absolute balding. He absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nice also when you have people who are normally doubled up. While I think there can be a disappointment in the listener to only get one of a double act, I think if you give that one person a lot to do and make it about them purely, I think it kind of compensates for some of that disappointment if, if you know, that's a thing. And with this, I mean, he's absolutely front and centre. I've, I've never been able to quite decide whether it is a kind of Bond movie or a real kind of lovely film noir. It's, um, it can be both things and it depends. I, I, I can't know. I can't think of it. Today I'm thinking of it as a Bond movie, but it, it was quite brutal. I think actually I've got a feeling I did have to get Eddie to tone down the beatings a little bit. It's quite awkward because I've said, look, Charlie gets really badly injured at the end of this so that Ruth goes on the warpath. But you're also aware that you can't really do anything too squelchy in audio without getting into a lot of trouble. So, yeah, we, we, we kind of had to dance around a little bit how badly hurt he gets. But uh, that felt really noir actually. That's real kind of, you know, when the private detective gets pulled out, pulled into the shadows by some great big, huge man muscle mountain of a a goon and beaten up and yeah it's um i won't say i enjoyed that because it was you know what sort of person would but it it felt very authentic to the genre that that sort of thing would happen so yeah it was a really good day actually i ended up having dinner with him afterwards which was just a real surprise and, and his son who, who, they were visiting london and it was it was really nice actually just actually having an evening that really wasn't talking doctor who at all it was just talking about his past work and his life and it was just it was just really nice it's um yeah it's a really 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 nice guy actually I, I would have loved to have done more with those and it, it was very opportunistic i was very lucky to get daphne and i was very lucky to get Yuji. it would have been lovely to do it again and i i, I really you know that they should do more work it's great definitely ian thank you so much for sharing your insight into the creative process with us just once more <laughs> not at all thank you and we look forward to another short trip with you very soon thank you very much we're so lucky that we've got lovely people like Ian who are happy to come on and chat about their work. There's the short trip series as a range that I find is often overlooked by some people. Absolutely. You look online and you can see that it's not... It's one that people might talk about the odd one here and there, but maybe not as often as they should. You'll get the whatever monthly stories have been out. They would always chat about them. But sometimes short trips were just a little bit overlooked, but those who buy them just absolutely love them. And I know that that's very much the case for me. Um, I quite like to download them if I'm going for a walk, even if it's like a half hour walk, then these are just perfect for them. Something I should mention at this point is that Stephen Critchlow, an actor who narrated quite a lot of these short trips during Ian's time, he recently passed away, which was a real shame, and he just brought so much life and character, the wonderful voice, and yeah, it's a real shame. So rest in peace, Stephen Critchlow, as he was somebody who I would have loved to have had on. Definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, the variety in there is great. So many doctors and companions, huge variety of readers. Absolutely. And of course, there's also a wide selection of writers in there too. So, in a totally seamless link... <laughs> <laughs> As if. Yeah. Let's speak with the writer 
of the turn of the screw. So my name's Eddie Robson and I wrote the turn of the screw. Eddie, welcome back to Pieces of Eight for a second appearance. Yeah, thank you for asking me again. Today we're here to talk about another of your short trips, this time the turn of the screw. What do you recall of the commission for this one? Well, this one, um, weirdly, I don't. I, I, I just listened back to it today to uh, to refresh my memory because I, I didn't remember much of getting asked to do this one. But it was it was as simple as Ian Atkins said we would like to do another short trip with UG, who had an established character, and they had some other things they wanted to tie it into. But other than that, oh, and there was, and actually, I believe. I think I was given the whole thing of the the sonic screwdriver being something that they wanted to deal with. So yeah, it's so it was to do with the fact that the eleventh Doctor loses his sonic screwdriver in Ledworth, and that this uh, was a dangerous thing to leave lying around, uh, and so this would become significant later. So my little role in this was to tell the story of of how that got picked up within this short trip. Had you been following the adventures of Charlie Sato and Ruth Matheson in the Companion Chronicles and beyond? I, I must admit, I hadn't at the time, so I had to I had to do a, a catch up on uh, on uh, how all that worked. It was yeah, it was an interesting uh, it's an interesting little branch, and it was nice to uh, to bring uh, Daphne E.G. in uh, if, as were we unable to. Actually, now I think there's they must practically be the only Doctor Who characters who we can't use actually a big finish because the rights are separate I mean we've we've uh, we've now got it used to always be you know when I was starting it was always like 60s 70s 80s nothing after that and now we actually we, we can now use so much from the 20th century show that it, the 21st century show sorry that we've now uh, it's just this one little gap that we can't touch uh, maybe one day can but live in hope yeah I think well, you mentioned there that it was your brief was quite a simple one there. So the story has the feel of a really good spy thriller. Is that the tone and feel that you were going for? Yeah, yeah, and I guess because uh, actually listening uh, back to it, I remembered that it was of, yeah, of course it was uh, set in. Um, it had to be set in the twenty first century because it is post the eleventh hour. But I kind of wanted it to have that spy thriller feel. But also, I don't know. I, I think. It was funny listening back to it and thinking, oh, it does kind of feel like a 90s American TV show. Uh, and I think that was just because I, I I'd kind of, my head was in that TV movie space that I uh, I sort of gravitated towards that. But I with this one, I just embraced the kind of freedom of being able to set it anywhere to give it a sort of globetrotting spy thriller feel. And I set it, I set it in Puerto Rico because at the time my brother-in-law was working there at the at the Arecibo Observatory, uh, which features in the story, and yeah, and actually I did mention that um, there's a little there's a bit where Charlie mentions uh, if you've ever seen James Bond hanging off uh, a radio telescope, that's the one, which I, I think yeah, as you say, it does it sort of explicitly ties it into that spy thriller world. But yeah, it just seemed it seemed an appropriate fit. It seemed a nice a, a nice way to to cover a um, a twenty first century unit story. Definitely. How do you find writing a short trip compared to a full cast script? Do you like the fact that you have prose to play with to do the descriptions rather than working it into sound design and dialogue? 
Uh, it is quite nice, yeah. I mean, you do have a bit more control over it. I think the only thing is that it does, it naturally uh, means that I think the pace of these is inevitably slower because, yeah, because of how you, you're relying on your lead actor to, uh, to do all that stuff for you and to kind of introduce characters and talk about what's going on. Yeah, I think the, the only thing that you'd have to be aware of is just, yeah, just making sure that there's the sort of some variety for your lead actor in terms of like doing the pace, not giving them too many immensely long dialogue scenes, I think is always a good idea. So it demands a slightly different kind of writing from just writing straight prose, which I also do. But it does, it does sort of take an amount of pressure off. And it, it, yeah, and it's, I do like the format as well of, because I, I actually rarely write in the first person when I'm doing prose, but it's, um, it's, it's quite nice to do that knowing that you've actually got the actor to do it and that it, it is, I mean, in this case, he is, uh, although we've got the sound design coming in, you do find out at the end that he has actually been telling the story to somebody. There's something rather lovely about having Charlie meet the Doctor, somebody whose work he's familiar with through the vault, but not quite realising who he is. Mm. Do you find that quite good fun to do, sort of just have that sort of unintentional encounter? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, again, that was something where when I was listening back to it, I'd, I'd sort of forgotten that he knows, yeah, he does know who the Doctor is, but it, this this particular Doctor is not on record. Uh, not the records that he's seen anyway. And yeah, and having having the Doctor, I quite enjoyed having the Doctor come in and be somebody else, be posing as somebody else, and doing a kind of generic European accent, which, listening back to think he doesn't really need to do this, but it just seemed funny <laughs> that, uh, that he, yeah, that he, he's kind of created this character, this kind of, yeah, this slightly uh, sinister Doctor guy. Yeah, different kind of doctor, but yeah. There's some really lovely references to TV stories in this short trip, such as the 11th hour with the destroyed sonic screwdriver and the running program with from the day of the doctor. Did you enjoy slotting those in? Yeah, actually, yes, that was one where it was actually in some ways with the day of the doctor reference, I'd suddenly thought, Oh, this is kind of important, actually. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where, like, it's it's one of those. It's lovely that they they kind of drop that back in. That uh, in in Day of the Doctor, this idea that it's this has been happening for ages and we just didn't know about it until now. But it did suddenly make me think of like, oh, actually, I, I should probably acknowledge this. That this is happening and that this is important. But yeah, that was yeah. I I, I, I yeah. I just, I just felt it had to be in there somewhere, and it sort of acted as a reminder to whoever was following up the story after me was that like, oh yeah, don't forget that this is significant to Sonic Screwdriver. In fact, I think it, the idea came up at one point that there might be a kind of uh, a bootstrap paradox element to it, and that it was the same Sonic Screwdriver going round and round in time. And I actually didn't. T I don't think I took up took up on that, or I certainly didn't. I don't know whether that came up later, but I didn't want to go with it because it kind of makes my head hurt a bit. <laughs> so, Yeah. How did you enjoy hearing the finished version? We spoke to Yiji quite recently and he loved doing it, but I especially loved the wee cameo from Daphne as Ruth right at the end as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was was quite hearing him do it. I mean, I'd, I'd done little things to try and kind of fit it 
into into him like i i um i, I looked uh, a bit into into his background and you know so the character is is from the I think I, I I think I think I did check this out, but his because it, it, it's mentioned that the character's from Richmond, and I think that's where Eugene's from. If I think I'm right in saying, I think that's where I got that from. So I kind of wanted to I really did want to fit it to his voice, uh, and, and I think he did a, a great job with it. I think it it's it's got nice yeah it does feel nice and, and atmospheric. I think the uh, uh, the sound design on it as well. It's um, it does it does feel like you're going around these these different places and some places that you don't necessarily always see that often in doctor who you know it it sometimes it, yeah it's, it felt like a bit of a chance to to go outside what you would normally do you know like when he's been tied up in a garage somewhere and he's uh, being beaten up I was like that's something that you wouldn't you probably wouldn't do in tv doctor who these days but it it was nice to sort of put the doctor in a different situation and show him doing something different one final question. Where can people find out more about your work, Eddie, if they're looking to follow you on social media, etc.? Yeah, well, I'm uh, on social media at, at Eddie Robson, all just one word. And yeah, but you can also, uh, I, I do have I do have a sort of rudimentary website, which I keep meaning to update, uh, which is uh, a, a WordPress one. Of, that's just Eddie Robson, all one word, dot WordPress dot com. You can also just look me up on Amazon. I've been uh, writing quite a few books lately and things like that. So um, I've got a new novel coming out in uh, June 2022. And at the time we're talking, I I don't know exactly when it's going to come out, but I have a, a series called Car Crash coming out via Audible very, very soon, probably by the time this podcast is out. Uh, it will be available and people can go and look for it. But uh, but yeah, there's um, all manner of things. That I've, I've been doing a lot of prose and stuff during lockdown. So it's, it's, it's all out there if people want to discover it. Eddie, as ever, a huge thank you for taking the time to talk with us on Pieces of Eight. And hopefully we will speak to you again soon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Thank you, Eddie. Eddie is such a good writer. You really should check out some of his non-Doctor Who work if you're not familiar with it. And... You've got no excuse now for not knowing where to look. And this is time for the bit I love most of all. Oh yes, it's time to cross the Atlantic and head to Vancouver, where the stories narrator Yi Ji Cho is waiting for us. So we need to get over there now that international travel is a thing again, since he, he offered to give us a tour of the TV movie locations. Yes, he did. Ah, that was, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But we should hear from the man who was Chang Lee in the TV movie, and in this story, Charlie Sato. Sato? Sato. <laughs> I'm Yiji Cho. I played Chang Lee in the Doctor Who TV movie. You've narrated a Big Finish short trip, The Turn of the Screw. How did you find that, uh, doing several voices and bringing the whole thing to life, having, particularly having to find a Paul McGann impression in you as well? Oh, yeah. So I struggled with that a little bit, right? Like, because part of me wanted to just go full bore and just like do full on accents or really like try to just like, you know, take it, take it over the top kind of thing. And part of me, part of me was really scared of that. And part of me also felt like it was more, it, it was, it would be less distracting or like more true to the like form of, of this sort of narration thing to not go like fully over the top with it. And then another part of me regrets not having just gone total balls out with it, right? So, so yeah, you know, I, I probably pulled my punches a little bit. I think I went, I think I went a little bit 
I think I, I tried to keep it a little bit more subtle, the impersonations and the and the, and the voicing or whatever. But I think overall it worked out. Uh, I was told that you know was accepted, it was uh, received with positive reaction, and yeah, um, I you know that the funny thing is I I think that's the one big finished production that I've never heard in its completely finished form. So I might have to email them actually to see if I can get a hold of it somehow. Is it on the site? It's probably on the site, isn't it? It's on the website. Was that the first time you'd actually done a narrated reading like that? Or was that something you'd previously had form with? Let me think. Uh, narration. It might, uh, I can't recall if it was the first one. It's one of the few. I haven't done very many of them, that's for sure. And I think, uh, yeah, it might have been the first. Yeah. No, it might have been the first, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's definitely, I, I know for sure what it is. It's the most uh, sort of comprehensive. It was the one that I've done like the most of that. Any other kind of narration thing would be like tidbits here and there, you know, like you just, but, uh, but yeah, but that was a full, you know, it was a full thing, a full story basically. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. It's, it's comparatively more work, but I would happily, happily do that over and over again with Big Finish. It's just such, such a such a great bunch of people to work with. And the stories are, are fantastic, right? So, E.G., uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, same here. It was really nice to you guys. Thank you. As ever, a huge thanks to Ian, Eddie and E.G. for taking the time to chat with us on Pieces of Eighth. Really enjoyed that release. I think it gives you an extra wee insight, doesn't it? Just when you hear where the inspirations were and the fact that Eddie was quite keen to add in wee bits here and there and Ian a bit worries about the violence and stuff, but very, very good. Yes, yes, it was great. Oh, quick question. After hmm. we were talking about uh, short trips earlier, does Max Warp count as a short trip? No, full cast audio. Um, very like Max Warp. <laughs> Yeah, well, go back and listen to it, and then listen to our episode about it. Yes! Did you, did you, did you, did you see the post the Big Finish did yesterday with the screenshots? Uh, it was like, screenshot this thing that was this gift. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, someone screenshotted theirs, and it said, it's like Top Gear meets space travel. And was <laughs> like, oh, that would be amazing. And I had to reply to it. I was like, it's Max Warp. It's already been done. <laughs> Go and listen to it. <laughs> definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Completely off topic. But yes, back to the turn of the screw. Fantastic. I really enjoyed interviewing everyone. Everyone was lovely. And it was nice to actually be able to do the interviews. Yes. Considering but, how many I've missed recently. But I'm sure that you'll be back for some more very, very soon. Which we, as we still get a few to record to finish off this season. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. And next time, we're heading into the world of fan writing. But no, we're not talking about fan fiction. We're talking about critical analysis as we discover more about the Black Archive range, which is published by Obverse Books in Edinburgh. And we'll find out more about what the series is and the two Eighth Doctor books that they've published. Yes. So that's been The Turn of the Screw, which features Unit's Vault Team. And next up, we're featuring the Black Archive, which is also a Unit Vault of a different kind than the TV series. Huh. Bloody hell, that's very, very true. And thought of that. Good point. So, until next week, I've been Rebecca Chapman. And I've been Kenny Smith. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> we have indeed. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.